Welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Dalpena, and on this episode, I welcome USA Women's Honor 19 and Senior National Team player Lisa Ramjit, who made her debut in May 2019 with the USA Women's Senior Team and has now made her debut with the USA Women's Under 19 Team in Trinidad the start of the Cricket West Indies Rising Stars Women's Under-19 T20 Championship that began on July 5th and runs through July 13th. USA is going to be playing six matches in Trinidad, and that's part of their buildup for the Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup in January in South Africa, the first ever edition of that tournament, and USA has been given an automatic berth by being the de facto champion out of the Americas because there are no other teams in the Americas region that meet the requirements. So Lisa figures to be part of that squad as well if everything goes according to plan. She's got a lot to say about growing up playing cricket in Maryland on her way to the national team. But before we get to the interview with Lisa, I want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is presented by Dream Cricket. And the Dream Cricket Store can help you fill up all your cricket kit requirements. Anything you need, bats, helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, go to dreamcricketstore.com now and get 15% off your first order. Dream Cricket Store also offers free shipping on all orders over $200. Go to www.dreamcricketstore.com to take advantage of that great deal today. I also want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Moose Cricket Stadium and Crickbuster. Moose Stadium, the first turf cricket facility in the state of Texas and now the 213th ODI cricket facility in the history of ODI cricket. For more information, go to www.moosestadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A stadium.com. Moose Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas, and Crickbuster. In case people have not seen the news, the tickets for the West Indies and India T20Is in Florida that are going to be held in Waterhill on August 6th and 7th it was, are now officially on sale. And Crickbuster is the Cricket West Indies and ICC designated official travel agent for that series as well as for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia later this year. So if you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, whether it's for those T20Is coming up in August between India and the West Indies or if you're going to Australia and want to organize something as a complete package down under for the Men's T20 World Cup, Crickbuster is your one-stop shop for all of your touring plans. So visit www.crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. Today's edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. We're welcomed by 17-year-old USA Women's National Team player, Lisa Ramjit. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. I know there's a lot happening with the women's interregional competition that's underway now again for the second year that started last year and the competition has just started up again in June for this summer and it's going to lead into the regional competition and then the national championship which will be in the first weekend in August in Texas but in the immediate term one of the recent exciting things that happened for you you graduated high school gotten that out of the way I did no more need to worry about that so tell us about that what is it like for you now to have that out of the way I'm very happy that I'm just done with high school I actually graduated a year early so 
Sorry, my my cat decided. This, this is a this is a recurring theme with you. So last year we had <laughs> your your dog ran onto the field in North Carolina. Yeah. And now we've got a cat walking across the screen for the podcast. You're you're like a, a doctor, Doolittle animal lover. I know they love me so much, but yeah, I'm very happy to be done with high school. It's a big toll on my time and uh, kind of my mental health. Uh, I'm glad to be finished, and just now I have time to relax and kind of focus on me and cricket which is nice. You said graduated a year early. This is yeah. like one of the things we hear about with college basketball players and college football players who are trying to get started on their scholarship and go to spring football practices and reclassify as how it says in a year early. Never really hear that too much with cricketers. So I'm curious, what motivated you to try and speed up that process so that you could graduate a year early? Actually, it's just because I didn't really like school that much. I wanted to be done as soon as possible and be out. Join the so, club. I'm in that club too. <laughs> yeah, but I did graduate with all A's. So. Well, that's better than what I did. I was far from an all, a straight A student, but I, I was somebody who, when I graduated high school and I graduated college, I still, to this day, occasionally have nightmares about being three credits short or six credits short and being told your diploma is no good. You need to go back and complete three more credits. And I'm thinking, no, God, please. That's, that's my biggest nightmare in life. <laughs> Honest to God, it, 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 sometimes it'll keep me up at, at night, uh, wake me up in the middle of the night. So uh, I completely empathize with your situation, being glad to be done with school. And yeah. now it frees up some time for cricket, which is obviously a lot more enjoyable. So take us through now a, a day in the life of Lisa Ramja. If, if school is now out of the way, high school at least, don't know if, if you're, are you considering university or college or what's your plan going forward? Yeah, I'm definitely considering college, most likely something uh, business oriented. I'm not 100% sure yet, but I have the time so I can figure out what exactly it is that I want to do. Are you planning to take a year off or what's your kind of strategy in that regard? these next couple of months I'm just going to take time for me and then after that I'll figure out my plan and what college I want to go to and what exactly it is I want to major in so now it's just me time you don't have to worry about school so take you through a day in the life now that you got school out of the way for the time being is it all cricket all the time do you have another kind of part-time oh. job or what is what is a typical day in terms of training and getting prepared for your cricket ambitions like Oh, no, I have a pretty average life. Um, I wake up early. Well, not even early, actually. To be honest with you, I wake up 12 o'clock. I get up, I eat my breakfast. I would probably take my dog for a walk, come back, spend some time with family. And then later in the afternoon, that's when I focus on cricket and I uh, usually do my practices. And then I sleep. I go to bed really late again because I can afford to do that now. I was going to say, what you're trying to tell us is that you are a typical teenager. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's your routine at the moment. You live about an hour outside of Baltimore, kind of near the Maryland-Pennsylvania border. So for you, for practice, when you say practice, what does practice mean? Do you have a local facility that you can drive to? Or if you're trying to do something besides doing your own practice routine, if you want to go to a group setting in an indoor facility or somewhere else, what is the nearest facility to you to make that happen? So I'm actually blessed to have a pitch in my backyard. Uh, so usually my, my, my parents invested a lot in me and my cricket. So 
um, we have a pitch in the backyard and most of my practice I do there and uh, they help me my mom and my dad they help me with my with throwdowns and um, catching fielding whatever it is that I need to do when I practice I also play locally so we have our local practices usually once a week and games uh, Saturday and Sunday so at least I would practice at home and on that one day we have a team practice it's usually outdoors uh, like uh, Columbia Maryland that's where I usually go having a pitch in your backyard talk us through this so how long has this been there and, and to what extent have your parents had to sacrifice some of the backyard space or lawn space to accommodate some of your cricket ambitions? The pitch covers almost like half the backyard. It covers, uh, we have like half an acre of a backyard. So the pitch is majority of it. Uh, my dog doesn't have space to run around anymore. Uh, she has to go around the pitch, but I'm very happy we built that there. I think it's uh, helping me a lot. And uh, although it's a big sacrifice, I think it's it's worth it to help me with my cricket and to develop as a player and do you have a net is it enclosed or, or described for us yeah so um it's concrete and then we have the pitch we have the turf astral turf over it and then we have it's a big box a big square box it's not a full 22 yards but it's a good space batting space like and 20 yards i would say who's doing the the rest of the you, you got to have a tag team partner in this so is it your dad is it your mom is it your little brother who's who's it's, helping out it's my mom and my dad it's my mom and my dad that's actually my mom mostly she's always very encouraging me and uh she takes me out she's like okay lisa it's time to go on practice let's go and she's always there giving me throwdowns and uh helping me out she's my biggest motivation she's my big partner when it comes to cricket as well and when I've covered cricket, whether it's the interregionals or other events, your parents are generally on the road with you. They make an awful lot of effort to follow you and support your journey. So I, I've seen them. I've, I've met them. Your mom, Bobby, and your dad is named Ram, is it? What's your yeah, dad? Ram. R-A-M. So your mom, Bobby, your dad, Ram, originally they are from Guyana. So yep. this is where the cricket heritage comes in. But you're born and raised in the USA. You're born in Washington, D.C. You spent your whole life in, in Maryland. So yep. we get a lot of players uh, and a lot of athletes who are, are second generation kids of uh, parents who come from some sort of traditional cricket culture. But not all of them get into cricket. It's not a foregone conclusion. So even though your parents are Guyanese, what was your, your first love growing up in terms of sports? Was it cricket or was it something else that really caught your attention initially? Actually, I didn't even know what cricket was to begin with. Being little, I used to come inside the room and see my dad had cricket on TV all day long. And um, at the time, I was actually playing softball. And uh, I came in the room and I would see dad watching. He would also even have cricket or tennis. And uh, I think at one point I just, I was so fascinated that he kept watching the sport over and over again. And I asked him, finally, I decided to ask him what it was and he explained it to me. And I was like, what, what the heck? There's so many like things to remember, so many details. And um, yeah, the, I, I just remembered cricket being a lot of parts, a lot of uh, little uh, specifics that you have to remember. And um, one thing that really caught my attention was all the fielding position names, which I just thought was so silly. 
<laughs> like slips and third man imagine telling that to a seven-year-old they're like so confused but I was playing softball at the time and then later on they started introducing coach Am started introducing cricket to Maryland and um, by then I had an idea of what cricket was and my parents decided to sign me up so I started but softball initially was what you were playing mostly did, did you play any other sports I did ballet before softball actually that didn't work out too well. I didn't really like ballet. Hey, you, know, you never know. I mean, there's a famous story of Lynn Swan, the former Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver, who when he was, before he was a Hall of Fame receiver, he took ballet lessons and that he actually took it, I think, during his career as well, because he felt the ballet footwork helped him in terms of trying to make sideline catches and keeping his balance to be able to get two feet and just toe tap, just do the, do the two two toes, get his toe tapped in bounds. And a lot of these highlight reel catches that Lynn Swan had where he credited to his ballet training that he got a lot of stick for it. It was not obviously something that was seen as macho or, you know, what is an NFL player doing taking ballet? But he thought there was a a method to the madness. Is there there anything you can point to in your ballet training, Lisa, that you can credit? Is is there a boundary catch that you've taken where you you were able to balance (laughs) your body inside the boundary? Um, the only thing I can stand on my tippy toes really good. So when I need the couple of inches to catch a ball, if I don't have to jump, I can just stand on my toes and catch the ball. So that's the only thing I can think of. Well, there you go. It was worth it just for that, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, so ballet, softball, how long did you play softball for? Um, I didn't play very long. Just, I think about two years, two years. And then I moved on to cricket. And at what age was this then that you started to get introduced to cricket, not just from watching your dad and this weird sport that your dad is watching on the TV all the time that's kind of interfering with some other stuff <laughs> that you might want to watch on the TV, but in terms of when you actually wanted to start playing it yourself, how old were you then? I was seven when I started. So quite early. You've yep. been playing for a long time. So the difference between watching this weird sport versus then deciding to play, what made it enjoyable for you from the early days of your introduction to cricket in terms of playing that made you want it to be a sport that you would stick around and continue playing and one day make it to the national team it was very different from what I saw on tv actually to be honest I like playing cricket a lot more than I like to watch it um (laughs) yeah um when I was younger I think my favorite thing to do I just loved bowling just bowling and the most rewarding thing was getting wickets for me so every wicket every out that I took it was just it was a rewarding for me so I think that's what that's what really pushed me just getting outs I felt good about myself and I wanted to keep going you're a seam bowler now were you always a seam bowler did you start off as a spinner no I was always a medium pacer and what of of all the options to bowl why did you decide you wanted to be a medium pacer I don't know that's uh I just always picked up the ball and uh, just, I think the first time I did pick up a cricket ball, I thought it was a great idea to run like 20 feet back and just start running. And then when I got to the the pitch, I just, or to the crease, I just lofted it over. And uh, from there, I knew I was going to be a pacer. So let me ask you this, in terms of softball skills, this is something that doesn't really get talked about an awful lot. But I feel the transition for a softball player is somewhat easier than it is for a baseball player to try and transition to cricket because in softball, the pitching motion, obviously it's underhand, 
but just kind of wheeling your arm around it and kind of slinging it. It's a full body shoulder and back and hip rotation basically. And there's very, very little elbow. You're not really using your elbow. It's a lot of shoulder rotation and then wrist snap at the very end, but you don't really see softball pitchers. And I covered a lot of softball when I was in college. It was one of the first sports I did when I was doing campus radio broadcasts at Creighton. And we had a very good softball team. And if I think back to those games and the pitchers we had, the whole physics and, and mechanics of softball pitching is completely, completely different in so many ways to baseball. And I'm curious, because you didn't have that overarm elbow snap that you a lot of people associate with baseball, and, it, and it's just a different motion. Obviously, I know in, in terms of fielding, your general fielding, you're throwing the ball normally with a lot of elbow and, and shoulder um, rotation. But there's not so much to unlearn compared to a baseball pitcher. So in terms of that transition, what were the easy aspects of trying to learn the proper bowling motion so that you're not bending your elbow in addition to the other aspects of cricket? Actually, I wasn't a pitcher when I played softball. I was a first baseman and uh, a batter. Um, So pitching for cricket was just completely new. And I don't think it was really hard to transition or to learn too much about it. Because uh, it was the first time I actually started pitching or bowling. So it was just something new to learn. It wasn't really a transition for me. Now, the other part of this, you touched on this, being a first baseman. So you're used to yeah. handling the ball an awful lot. Uh, and obviously, you're catching it with a glove. I'm somebody who, growing up with baseball, growing up with other sports. But I feel that, in my own experiences, it was not difficult at all to transition to playing without a glove because the technical fundamentals are still the same. With or without the glove, you need to have your hands in the right position. And when you're growing up playing youth, Little League Baseball or Little League Softball, they generally teach the kids, youth coaches, to use your second hand as a support mechanism to get it behind the glove to help close the glove. So there's this misconception that catching with two hands without a glove is difficult when in reality, a lot of the kids from a young age are taught to kind of keep their hands together in that regard. So I'm curious, what was it like for you transitioning to catching without a glove on a regular basis? Did you find it was difficult at all? Or did you feel it was just a natural thing to do and just slight adjustment and not having the basket element of the glove to to help out? No, I did find it difficult because now I would have to catch with my bare hands and the cricket ball is just, it's hard. It's almost like a baseball and it has only instead of two seams, it has one seam but still it was very difficult for me. And uh, I, a couple of times when I was younger, I would be on the verge of tears because uh, <laughs> of how hard the ball would hit my hands. So it took some time to getting used to and my hands hardening up a little bit, but um, it's okay. I got there. I got there. Got my you. hands are harder now. You claim that you were close to tears. You got a big smile on your face now. Talking <laughs> about it though. Yeah, I mean, it's those teary-eyed moments that lead me to where I am now. So it's definitely worth it. Now, one of the other parts about growing up playing cricket in America, I'm curious to ask you about. One of the things I felt is a huge obstacle in terms of junior cricket development is the fact that all sports, but especially youth sports, junior sports, are extremely social. If you've got a group of friends, whether it's in the street, I can't tell you how many sports I played in the street growing up. I don't know if it still goes on today, uh, but street hockey, street baseball, street football, just the kids in the neighborhood, you'd see kids in the street all the time. And it was a function of 
we played what all the other kids were playing. And that was whatever was the season. If it was winter, we were playing football on the street. If it was kind of in the, in the spring, we'd, we'd play baseball or, or street hockey in the street when the weather got warmer. But it was basically a, a, a peer element to it. And when I've talked to families and other young junior players, one of the, the big obstacles is the fact that they have to generally try and find places, whether it's an indoor facility or somewhere else, where they have to go to more or less individualized, specialized training, that it's not often you're living in a neighborhood where everybody on the street or everybody in the neighborhood or the cul-de-sac or whatever is chomping at the bit to go play cricket on the streets, do street cricket. All the other kids are are wondering, what is, what is this spirit sport and why is Lisa playing or why is somebody else playing it? And it, it becomes a very big obstacle from a peer element. If you don't have friends playing it at school, if you don't have friends playing it in the street, um, like again, all these other sports, soccer, you can go down the list. That has been a huge obstacle when I've talked to families who are in your situation. So I'm curious from a, a social standpoint, did you have friends, whether it's in your neighborhood or you're living and growing up or, or other kids at school who were interested in cricket in the same way that you were, or was it challenging with regards to finding a group of kids in your own peer group that would be able to not just share the same interests, but have it to an extent where you could play as a team, play against a team, have, you know, 22 kids who would all have the same interest so that you can actually have a genuine cricket experience. Yeah, um, no, not many people knew about cricket growing up. I could never really like go to my friends and talk about it. That was more of a at-home thing. We have all our uh, cricket discussions at home, so not really much cricket talk outside. But when I'm practicing outside, maybe sometimes I would go to like a local park and do some some hitting and uh, some locals will just walk by and when they point and they go they say is that cricket I get so excited and I get so happy I'm like yes 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 it's cricket you got it so uh little moments like that (laughs) make me happy in terms of people knowing it's spreading I think cricket is spreading people are starting to learn so then dealing with an obstacle whether it's at school or, or somewhere outside of school when you're in kind of a cocoon in that sense, how do you sustain that passion then when you're growing up in, in this kind of situation? I think I would just say my number one factor of motivation is my family. They're big cricket people. I, I tell you, I cannot go a day without talking about cricket or just we can't talk, we can't go a day without talking about cricket, whether it's technique, whether it's uh, what happened uh, during a game, it's nonstop. So I don't think I really need to find the passion outside of home. I always had my motivation here with my family. So you're 17 now. You said you started when you were seven. So you've been playing for more than half your life. Take us through the early parts of that journey when you wanted to get training and coaching outside of what your mom and dad were offering. What was the pathway for you in terms of where you went to find whether it was a, a junior program or a community program or anything else like that, that enabled you to get more consistent opportunities? So I've actually never went through any programs. I just had local training by some coaches, but we, my family and I didn't really take cricket like at the next level. 
until I was 12 and I got a five wicket haul during one of my games. So that was like a big breakthrough for me to know that uh, I can actually perform that well and, uh, and do that good. And then from there, I was like, maybe this is something that I actually want to, to pursue more and take to the next level. So then we started to get coaching and I got, I got more training. So this five wicket haul when you were 12, take us through that. Where was it? Where, what was the team you were a part of and, and just set the scene for us if you can. I actually don't remember who it was against, but I was the only girl playing 15U. I was 12 playing 15U boys. And yeah, I just remembered going out on the field and this I didn't is, think too much. This is in Maryland or is this somewhere else that this was happening? It was in Maryland. So yeah, I just remembered going out on the field and I just remember my first wicket and then I got a second wicket and I was really happy. And then I just kept bowling, kept bowling. And I started picking up wickets like one after another, after another and after another. And it was just, it was amazing. It was amazing feeling. Now, one of the other things you touched on there, which is quite common in girls cricket anywhere, whether it's USA or England or Australia or India or any country for that matter, because there are so few girls playing, more often than not, you're playing against boys the majority of the time with and against boys. So transitioning from a sport like softball, even though you said you only played it for a couple of years, in softball, the market is flooded in the U.S. where you're only going to be playing with girls if you're on a softball team versus cricket. If you want to get opportunities, more often than not, you might be the only girl playing, like you said. So what has that experience been like for you trying to adjust in that sense? Do you feel that you stand out and stick out like a sore thumb in that regard? Or, or do you feel like you you mix in pretty well and your teammates are used to the idea of, of playing with a girl? Now I feel like my teammates are a little more uh, <laughs> accepting and uh, realization. Actually, I think when we're playing, they don't even think about me being a girl. We just go out there and play as a team. But uh, being younger, it was, it was a little bit awkward because uh, – as you said, starting out playing with softball and you have a whole team of girls and now like you're the only female playing with a bunch of, of guys. It's kind of, it was kind of tough because I guess they sometimes guys look at you a little bit different. They, they might underestimate you. So you might have to take the one opportunity you get and make use of it. What was the biggest obstacle in that regard then that you feel you had to overcome to feel more at ease playing in that situation? Just making use and showing the other guys that I have skills and um, I'm confident in myself and I'm I'm a good player. I can play just as hard as they can. Well, you've shown that and then some. You said 12. This happened when you were 12 and that's when kind of the first seed was planted that, hey, maybe this is something that I might be able to take a bit more seriously with regards to pursuing it for higher honors. And just two years later, you're playing for the USA women's national team in Florida, making your debut in May, 2019 with that series against Canada. But again, this is, this is kind of a recurring theme. Women's cricket, girls cricket in America is just not common in, in general compared to other countries. It's, it's not just a, a girl's opportunity issue. There's very few opportunities for women. And a lot of that is, is just playing down to visibility. Now there's more opportunities in the last couple of years, but in 2019, 2018, USA was in a situation where they had only played, I think, two or three times since they were kind of under a de facto ban with regards to ICC America's 
eliminating the regional qualifier. So from 2012 to 2017, there was basically no opportunities for anybody in the region, whether it's USA or Canada. And just means there's there's no visibility. A lot of people don't even realize that does a USA women's national team even exist to have something like that to aspire to, to be able to sit here now like you are with a USA cricket national team jersey that you've got on. So from that standpoint, you said you're 12 when you thought, hey, maybe I, I can do this a bit more seriously. But this is coinciding with a time where there weren't really matches being played by the USA women's national team uh, to a great extent. They had that tour in Scotland in 2017, but they only played a handful of matches. So I'm curious in, in that regard, what was your ambition in terms of wanting to pursue cricket in a more serious sense? Did you actually envision that, hey, I, I might be able to play for the USA women's national team? Were you even aware at the time there was a USA women's national team or to what extent were you looking at some of these things in terms of kind of big picture goals and opportunities? Um, at that point, no, I, I wasn't aware that there was a USA women's national team. But at that point, I wanted to become the best cricketer I could be. And I was thinking to play professionally, wherever or however that may come to me. But um, roads lead down here and I'm blessed to be on the USA national team. When you say you're not even aware there is a women's national team in the USA, you can't fault you for you know, wanting to be a professional, but not having any concept of the women's national team because <laughs> yeah. it's just not visible. You don't even know it exists. Who are your role models in terms of cricket role models? Who are your heroes? Who are the players that you were looking up to, whether it was male or female players that you were idolizing to kind of have this ambition? Well, besides my, my family and my mom and dad who played back home, uh, I really like Sachin the big cricket god. I know everyone everyone loves him, but um, I, I just loved how his personality also, he's very humble when he's on the field and uh, he just has this great, quiet, but like deadly personality to him that I just, I loved so much. So he was someone that I really looked up to. So not only was his cricket great, but he as a person was also amazing. That's what I really liked. I'm fascinated to hear you say this because he retired in 2013 from international cricket. So it would have been like very, very tail end of his career that you would have gotten to see. Was there anybody else in, in more modern times, kind of in that stretch of the last kind of five, six years after his international retirement that was an inspiration or caught your eyes role model or, or did you keep following him in franchise cricket? Did you go to any of the cricket all-star games in New York or Houston or anywhere else in 2015 when Sachin came to tour? Oh, you're talking about when I was 12? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's just it's just my family and my son and myself. But like I said, he retired in 2013. Beyond him, you 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 say it's really been a family-driven thing. Yes, definitely. I would say. You talked about your mom being your, your number one source of driving you. So how how does that work in terms of again fitting in and around school before your graduation, anyway? Um, and just her work schedule, your school schedule, what would have been a typical day like for you in terms of trying to fit in time to practice cricket and squeeze that in around your mom's commitments and your own school and other commitments? During school, it was definitely really hard because mom also had work and I was away from home for like seven hours and I would come back really tired. Uh, but we always found a way to work around things. And uh, I remember even at nighttime, we would work at play in the backyard at like nine, 10 o'clock at night. And we would put lights on the pitch, around the pitch, so we can see 
and practice. So it's a, it's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment. I'm just thankful my mom was there for me every step of the way. And she's willing to sacrifice as much as she did. All those sacrifices are paying off now in terms of getting to the national team. So from the age of 12 to 14, there's some opportunities to kind of get you to a USA national team trial. Take us through that kind of time frame in terms of what happened in between the age of 12, I guess, and that kind of five-wicket haul that you said was a source of kind of a change of mindset for you with regards to how you went about approaching things in local cricket and any other other cricket opportunities you were getting to play to then transition that into further opportunities to get a chance to trial for the women's national team and eventually get picked for that first tournament that you did in uh, May of 2019. I think it was, I can't 100% remember what the, what it was between uh, that gap year, but I do remember it being a lot of cricket, a lot of practice and us going a step further to get some some training for my batting. It was just mostly practice and me trying to develop and see the best I can get, I guess. You say it was mostly practice. So were you still playing against kids mainly? I mean, what was your first interaction in terms of playing against adults? Um, women's adults, there was, I can't remember what, I think it was in Philly. It was in Philly and they had some of the USA players there. I think they were playing against the Canada team. They mixed everyone up and they were playing. And Susie Bates and Charlotte Edwards was there. And uh, I got the opportunity to go and play and see them. And uh, I remember I went in last to bat. It was a one ball, 10 runs. And the girls were telling me if I hit a six or hit a boundary, they'll give me like, they'll give me money. And uh, <laughs> I just remember being really excited. And I was like, okay, okay. Bummer, I didn't actually hit a six or a four, but I made a run. So I was happy about that. So that was my first kind of interaction with USA women's cricket. So it sounds like it was part of the Can-Am setup. So it was USA and yeah, Can-Am. Can-Am, that that's what it was, yeah. So Charlotte Edwards and Susie Bates, two legends of the game. You're only 13 around that time. Did you have any concept of who these two players were and, and that it's not a, kind of a, a typical thing for that kind of player to be just kind of wandering around Philadelphia? No, I don't think it, it clicked when I was when I was that age. But uh, definitely now I can look back and see that um, I was lucky to get an opportunity to meet such great players, great legends of the game. I wish I could have asked them more questions and interact with them a little bit more, though. There's still time. You never know. If you're on the professional pathway, you, you could be going to England. You could be going to New Zealand. You, the door's not shut. Please. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so then you get the trial opportunity. I'm curious about this because I know you were there. Gitika Kadali was there. Both you wound up getting picked. And I believe Alicia Fernando was also there who did not get picked. Um, but she was also a part of the trial at the time. And Mahika Kandanala, I'm not sure if she was there, but she was kind of in the mix with regards to selection for the national team as somebody in her late teens going off to university as well. So you had some kind of young players there, but by and large, the entire squad is fully grown adults who've been around the cricket team for quite some time. So I'm curious, going into the trial, ahead of that tour that you were initially picked for, what was the atmosphere like? For you in terms of 
the welcome you got where all the other women's players looking over their shoulder who are these teenagers <laughs> coming after us that's funny um i don't know i felt kind of welcomed i guess i felt like i guess just part of the team like uh i, I thought i fit in uh i like the setting was really professional and the girls were like although they were really serious they were really friendly to me but um that's how it was it wasn't i didn't feel like left out or anything did you feel like you belonged in a competitive sense, forgetting all the social and off the field aspects in terms of the age disparity and, and what that presented, but in terms of just bat and ball skills, did you feel overawed at all or did you feel nervous or did you feel like, well, wait a second, I'm just as good as these players and I can stand toe to toe with them? I guess I, I, I kind of, I was a little bit nervous, but I trusted myself and my skills and my practice to go out there and perform. And you did, obviously, because you got selected. And not only did yeah. you get selected, but you go out there and you're playing for match one, essentially. Uh, May 17th, 2019 is when you make your debut. And not only do you get picked to play, you weren't a token player by any stretch of the imagination. We hear some stories about players who are making their debut at age 14 and they're hiding at third man or fine leg and then they come into bat at 11 and they're lucky if they get to touch the ball all day long instead you open the bowling so you're giving the ball immediately first ball of the match and you strike on the second ball of the match you bowl miriam coker for a second ball duck you wind up taking two for five and four overs with maiden quite extraordinary figures for anybody of any age let alone somebody who's making her debut as a 14 year old so Take us through that experience, May 17th, 2019 in Florida. At first, before the game, I was kind of nervous. But once I was actually there, I didn't think too much of it. I just uh, did my my regular thing, just bold. And when I took the wicket, I think even then I didn't register what it is that I just I just did until after the game. I realized I, I did something pretty big. I just I just took an international wicket at age 14 at my debut so <laughs> during the time I didn't think too much it was really after that I got to process how amazing it actually was the stars and stripes cricket podcast is presented by dream cricket dream cricket store can help you fill up all of your cricket kit requirements anything you need bats helmets gloves pads jerseys and more go to dreamcricketstore.com now and get 15 percent off your first order Dream Cricket Store also offers free shipping on all orders over $200. Again, go to www.dreamcricketstore.com to take advantage of that great offer today. This episode of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, and now the first ODI accredited venue in the Lone Star State, located at 5515 McKeever Road, County Road 100 in Pearland. Five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston, Musa Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms and change rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Musa also has two nursery grounds on the north side of the stadium boundary available for use. For more information, visit www.musastadium.com. That's M-O-O-S-A stadium.com. Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. The Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is also sponsored by Crickbuster. Based in Florida, Crickbuster is an ICC-designated official travel agent 
for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in Australia. If you're a cricket fan living in the USA and you need match tickets, flights, hotels, stadium tours, or want to organize other sightseeing activities down under this October, Crickbuster is a one-stop shop for all of your touring needs. Visit www.crickbuster.com to begin planning your trip today. And now back to the episode. When did you find out what you were going to play? Were you told the night before, the morning of? I mean, how much time did you have to kind of absorb what was going to happen? Or did you have any time? And it was just they, they tried not to tell you who are the team leadership, Julia Price and Julia Abbott and anybody else involved, so that you didn't have to think about it too much and have too many things into your mind. And you could just go out and play freely. Um, I believe they told us the night, the night before, the day before. But um. So then what was I remember did, you, I, did you get any sleep? Were you able to sleep? I, that's what I was just about to say. I'm pretty sure I, I think I slept well. I slept well. I, I didn't stay up too late. <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't want to think about it too much. I just uh, wanted the night to be over to wake up and go just go and play in the game. Having that happen, you said it, it didn't really kind of dawn on you until the game ended what you had just achieved and accomplished for yourself and for the team USA won that match by 10 wickets and USA dominated Canada throughout that series. It was three T20Is on three consecutive days. And in the next match, USA won by 37 runs, defending a target of 113. And you took none for 14 off three overs in that game. And then the final match, USA won by 35 runs, defending a total of 116. And you took three for 11. You did not open the bowling on that occasion. You came in as the fourth bowler used in that match, but you were the leading wicket taker on the day, three for 11 and four overs. So that first match and then everything that happened afterwards, what did that do in terms of helping you to either settle down or just come to the realization that, oh, I, I took two wickets today. I'm going to debut. There's no reason I can't take two wickets the next day and two weeks the next day. Like I, this isn't a one-off. I can keep doing this and I belong at this level. How much of an impact did having that happen in your very first match have in terms of giving you the confidence to continue to perform on a consistent basis? It actually had a big impact. After I took the first two wickets, I, I realized, hey, I can keep, I, I'm good. I can, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to, I can keep taking wickets. I'm good enough to take wickets and uh, I'll just keep trying and playing my best and see, I see the results from it. One of the iconic images coming out of that tournament is you being carried off the field by some of your teammates. Take yeah. us through that. What is what is that feeling like? I've I've never been fortunate enough to be carried off the fields by my teammates in that way. So please tell us for the those of us who aren't not as fortunate to have gone through that. What is it like? Um, yeah, so they put up my name on the screen in the the big billboard in the back. And uh, Nadia Gruni and uh, Sarah Farouk just came over and they ran towards me and they just picked me up and they said, hey, they called the cameraman over and um, they said, hey, come, come, let's, let's get a picture, let's get a picture. And uh, I just, I raised up my hand. It felt a very, like a really proud moment. And um, I have that picture framed in my house now. So I would too. Definitely a big if, moment for me. If that happened to me, I would have that picture framed too. I can't blame you. It is a big moment. It's a, it's a fantastic moment. And as I said, it's an iconic moment, not just from that series, but going forward for U.S. cricket. It's a picture that I think is something that has inspired a lot of players, specifically a lot of girls. One of the things that I found fascinating when I was in Florida last year, 
during the women's national championship and the women's under 19 tournament in Florida that happened back to back was that a lot of the parents who were there, especially the parents of the players from California who traveled in big numbers to come out to Florida to support the girls from the Western Conference team was the fact that it was clear that a number of them were going to make the team, the USA national team. And I asked one of the parents, um, what is, what, what do you give credit to this for? What's, what's the biggest reason that you think your girls are, are ready to play for the national team if they get selected? Or how do you think this day has arrived that they're good enough to compete and not be overawed or intimidated by these other senior players when you have the likes of Cindy Sriharsha and Nadia Gruni and Erica Rendler and so many other players who are there as part of the tournament and all these players are, are holding their own. And one of the parents said when they came to Florida, I believe it was in the summer of 2019 in either July or August, it was when India played the West Indies in the T20 matches. And then on the satellite fields outside of the stadium in Waterhill, there was, I believe, the Girls Cricket League tournament that was going on simultaneously. And so you had players from the Northeast, players from the, the, the Mid-Atlantic come down to Florida. And you also had players from Texas and California who were playing on the artificial wickets on those fields outside of the main stadium where the India West Indies matches were happening. Uh, this is in August of 2019. And they said, seeing you and seeing Geetika Kadali play with them and against them in the girls' prickly event was a huge source of inspiration that you and Gitika were role models for these other girls. And the fact that you had played for USA, not just played, but done well for USA, you weren't off on Mount Olympus resting on your horse. You came back and you were playing as a peer to a lot of these other girls in the girls' cricket league tournament. And the parents said they saw Lisa and they saw Gitika as role models, even though their age difference was minimal if there was any age difference at all because you're playing with a lot of 13 and 14 year old girls in the girls curriculum event the fact that you had played for usa and done well it was a signal to them that hey if lisa can do it and Gitika can do it our girls can do it one day too and and that was the the specific term that was used by this parent role model they saw you as a role model and the fact that you went out and did it they said i want to be like lisa ramjit and so i'm curious you got a smile on your face now for people who are listening to this they don't see it but to, to hear that and to hear players who are more or less in a similar age bracket as you describe you as a role model and somebody they look to as an inspiration, what does that mean to you? Uh, I'm, it kind of makes my heart smile, to be honest. Um, I'm so happy I can be put in this, in this position where a lot of girls look up to me and they, they want to be like me. It, it makes me happy that I can inspire people to do their best and want to be their best. So, cause I know I had people like that in my lives that uh, definitely pushed me to where I am now. So it's, it's nice to know I can be that person for someone else. Now, this is the first time you're hearing this. Are you able to like just process it? And do you see yourself as a role model? Do you think of yourself as a role model in that way? Or do you think of yourself more as you're just one of the girls? I don't know. I think uh, I'm always just me and I've always uh, just try to act like me. I never try to do anything too special, but um, I do think I, it puts me in a position where I have to like, like think about what it is that I want to say and, and how I act and portray myself in, in, a, in a good professional manner, I guess, because I have these people looking at me 
Well, they're looking... it doesn't change who I am as a person. No, I, I get that 100%. But they're looking at you because, yeah, they see you as, as somebody who does do the right things and contributing in a good way for USA national team. And there's a lot of things that come as a result of, of being part of the national team. And one of those, I believe, was the fact that you got to throw out a first pitch at a Baltimore Orioles baseball game. So take us through that experience and, and what led into that. And now I know when you're playing for USA women's team, the crowds aren't big. Any any USA national team in the crowds aren't very big. But they go from a situation where you're playing for the national team in front of not very many people to then going out and throwing a first pitch at a Baltimore Orioles game where there's thousands and thousands of people at Camden Yards. Take us through that whole experience and walking onto the field and Again, you said your name was on the video board in, in Florida. I'm imagining your name was also put up on the board at Camden Yards as well for people to recognize you. So take us through that day and what all that was like. Yeah, uh, it was really nice. They had this like really long uh, commentary about me introducing me as a player and uh, being part of the USA national team. And I went on out to the field and I got to I got to throw the first pitch and uh, I was kind of nervous about messing up not even gonna lie although I've thrown like a thousand balls in my in my lifetime I was still very nervous I won't be able to throw like 10 yards away from me but uh, uh I threw the the first pitch and I nailed it and uh, I was very happy um although like even the players stopped all the the players, the Oriole players on the field, they stopped and even they were clapping after I threw out the pitch and the fans were waving and I was waving back at the fans. Like it was my moment, not even the baseball players. It was, it was my moment. <laughs> uh, so that was definitely a lot of fun. And um, after the mascot came over and we got to take a, a picture. A lot of people might not realize the pressure associated with throwing a first pitch. There's a great story that former U.S. President George W. Bush talks about when he threw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium after 9-11 in the World Series in 2001 against the Diamondbacks. And you've got a sold-out Yankee Stadium with 50,000 people. And yeah, he might be the President of the United States, but there's a story that he tells that Derek Jeter saw him in the dugout tunnel before he was about to walk out to throw the first pitch and he was warming up he again he took it seriously he, he went through a lot of warm-up practice and, and trying to, to make sure he was getting the throw right and he's somebody who played an awful lot of baseball in his youth he was a the former owner of the texas rangers before he became president of the u.s but it's right after 9-11 so he's got a bulletproof vest on and he's got all this protective equ equipment and gear underneath his shirt and his jacket that nobody can see and it's it's hampering his ability to be able to throw properly so he's got that obstacle but Derek Cheater said, Mr. President, I don't care about you wearing a bulletproof vest and it making it difficult for you to throw. Mr. President, you better throw a strike. Otherwise, if you bounce the ball, they're going to boo you. And uh, so the President Bush is like, oh, geez, I better not screw this up because even if I'm the president, they're going to boo me off the field if I, if I bounce this throw into uh, the catcher. And, That's a lot uh, of pressure. It's, yeah, there's pressure there. So, you know, whether, whether it's you or the president or anybody else, there's an awful lot to think about. Uh, so yeah, how much did you practice when you when you were told you were going to throw the first pitch? Were you practicing daily? Did, you know, how much target practice and how much uh, practice on the day of did you have leading to the first pitch to make sure that you threw a strike? I actually didn't practice. Um, I just I thought I got it and I didn't think too much about it. But when I got there, then that's when it dawned on me. Oh, okay, maybe I should have maybe just maybe I should have done a little bit preparation. But um, 
I've done it a thousand times, more than a thousand times throwing, throwing a ball. You would think it's not really that big of a deal, but uh, when you get there and you're in the moment, it, it, it was scary. But you, you say you threw a strike. I did throw a strike. That's so. good. That's it, important because Rohit Sharma, there's video on the internet. Rohit Sharma threw out a first pitch at the Seattle Mariners game a couple years ago. And it was honestly got one of the worst first pitches in the history of major league baseball. It, oh no. Really? It, was no, it was nowhere near home play. I think he airmailed it. I think he sailed it high over the catcher or not even remotely close to the target. <laughs> of the catcher. And, and you see him on the video, he throws the pitch and then immediately he goes like, covers his face in embarrassment because he can't believe like oh my god did i seriously just miss the target that badly it was it was quite embarrassing for for rohit so that probably kept him up a couple of nights so you can say you've done one better than rohit sharma you didn't mess up your first pitch you you got your your first pitch or on the money (laughs) yeah yep you have that opportunity to get some local notoriety in, in maryland with the big name professional sports franchise. But now in in terms of more recent times for US cricket, you've had a little bit of adversity. The Scotland tour, summer of 2019, you have this incredible experience in the Americas qualifier against Canada. And then you go to Scotland, taking wickets becomes a little bit more difficult there. And, and the team in general performed poorly. They didn't win any games in the uh, main phase of the tournament narrowly avoided finishing in last place they had a consolation victory but otherwise they performed in a way that made everybody aware that there's a lot for the team that they need to work on and improve so you have that experience and then again going forward through the national team trials and the national championship last year there's an awful lot of competition I mentioned there's these players now who are looking at you as role model but they're also fighting to take your spot in the team and you were not included in the team that went to mexico you went to zimbabwe and you performed well in zimbabwe you had this incredible innings uh, batting against Sri Lanka in one of the warm-up games but now you go from a situation where you were one of the leading players in the team at one stage on your debut to now in part because of how well you did and the inspiration you provided to so many other players, there's an awful lot more competition now, healthy competition, but it's competition. So just take us through that experience, the adversity in Scotland, and then more recently being left out of the Mexico tour and what that did in terms of providing you with motivation to keep improving and practicing so that you're not in that situation again. The trials we had before Mexico, I I think I struggled a lot at first. It was a, a completely different environment and uh, different conditions that I had to get used to. And uh, even before that, like we had the women's, the last women's tournament and I played really well. I made like consecutively three fifties, one after another, after another. And then from going from there to going and to this tryout and having such a hard time, I was struggling so much after a couple of times not doing good and I just had to sit by myself and think even though I'm in this situation I think it's for the best and uh, not being selected I think pushed me to better myself and just reflect on what it is that I need to improve on and just to help me grow so it's not only your high moments that count it's those moments too that help me grow as a, as a person and as a player what specifically did you feel you needed to work on or targets coming out of that experience that you felt were a bit of a wake-up call for you in terms of what you needed to work on to get better and, and come out of that experience 
in a positive way? I think just being able to adjust to the situation and uh, the, the conditions, the playing conditions are really different. So it took me some time to kind of get used to it. But by the end of the selection, um, I believe I made the most runs for the U19. And I've also did really good with my bowling and I got player of the match for one of the games. So I think just being able to adjust, it took me a little bit longer, but it's all right. I think that's what I learned from there. You were the player of the tournament at the under-19 championship that followed immediately afterward. You were left out of the squad for Mexico for the T20 qualifier, but you were included for the tour to Zimbabwe. And this is another thing that is interesting in terms of your career progression. Coming to the team initially, making your debut as a bowler primarily. But even when I was in Scotland, I was not in Florida when you made your debut, but I was in Scotland for that second tour. And you only took two wickets on that tour in the five matches. But when I was watching you and from some of the other people who were external observers, they were watching, they were wondering why you were not getting more opportunities batting wise, because I saw and a lot of other people felt the same way that you had an awful lot of potential batting wise that perhaps wasn't being capitalized on from a technical standpoint, or even more simply, my argument was you were the fastest runner on the team. And even if you were at the non-striker's end, you could run and turn singles into twos a lot better than anybody else was doing in the team at that point in time. And so there was another number of elements that I thought you added value on the batting side that were not being taken advantage of. But from a technical standpoint, you definitely showed it in the interregionals and the regionals. You talked about making three consecutive 50s leading into the national championship last year. And then you are brought into the team for the 50-over tournament in Zimbabwe and in one of the warm-up matches against Sri Lanka you score 68 off 125 balls opening the batting in a total of 126 all out that is something that stands out to a lot of people for an associate level player whether it's USA or any other country to have that kind of performance whether it's in a warm-up match or a live tournament match that's not something that happens every day for a teenager at associate level. So I'm curious, as somebody who, again, started their career primarily as a bowler to then be sent in to open the batting and perform in that way, what do you credit as the key to your success in terms of having that progression to succeed as a batter? I think just practice and just believing in myself. And yeah, I think that's it. I worked really hard on my batting beforehand. And I think I credit that to being able to go and perform that well during that tournament. So what you're saying is all the players in Germany and Scotland and Namibia and Canada, they need to hire Bobby Ramjit <laughs> to come and give some throwdowns. She's, she's my personal coach. So I don't think I would, I would let her go. Even, even no matter how much they pay her, she has to stay with me. <laughs> she's but a yeah, good no, mom. She's, she's a good mom. She's an amazing mom, mom. And I credit a lot of where I am to her and to my family. Is she somebody who is there in a reassuring sense or is she, and just giving you throwdowns and does whatever you ask in terms of mom, I want to practice the short ball or mom, I want to practice balls if I'm trying to simulate sweeping against spinners or I want to mom, I want to practice using my feet to come down the wicket to spinners or is she the one directing Lisa, I want you to do this. Lisa, we're going to practice this now. Or Lisa, um, we should be doing this. How, how are your training sessions structured? 
so that coach Bobby and uh, player Lisa are getting along so that it doesn't interfere with daughter Lisa and mom Bobby in terms of that relationship. I think it goes both ways, but mom is not really passive. If she sees, she sees something's wrong, she, she's, she's going to be the first one to let you know and point it out. And uh, I think she knows a lot about my game. So she's, she's there to help me and point things out. Like maybe that I'm not paying attention, attention to the small details and she's there to help me. She keeps me on my toes, essentially. One other thing I want to ask about that tour, you, as I said, you opened the batting in the warm-up game and then in the live tournament matches itself, you were generally batting at either four or five. Your top score in the tournament itself against Thailand, 26 off 64 balls, which again was the, the team high score that day. Uh, there were only three players who reached double figures, you, Shivani Bosker, and Tara Norris, as USA was bowled out for 93 in that match against Thailand. And Thailand, as everybody knows, falls associate cricket and women's cricket. Thailand is basically the elite associate team at women's level who went to the World Cup in Australia, the, the 2020 T20 World Cup, Women's World Cup in Australia, and arguably should have been in the World Cup in New Zealand uh, a couple of months ago. But because of the qualifier being canceled or preempted due to COVID reasons, when the Omicron variant was starting to filter through Zimbabwe and Southern Africa and everybody panicked and they pulled the plug on the qualifier and meant that Thailand didn't actually get to complete their matches when they were really on course to make it perhaps to the World Cup in New Zealand as well. So that middle order role and being able to succeed in the way that you did against Thailand, again, going forward, what did you learn out of that experience that makes you believe you're going to be able to continue going on that path and being somebody who's a, a reliable batter that USA can depend on, whether it's in 50 over cricket or in 20 over cricket? I think I just played to the situation. At the time, we needed somebody to stay there and kind of hold up the end. So I just played to the game situation, and I think I, I was successful in that. But unfortunately, the I got out by run out. So uh, maybe next time in the future, I need to communicate better and um, have that better chemistry with my teammates. Let me ask you this. Thailand, all we do is see them smile. What is it like to play against a team that's trying to, to tear your head off, but at the same time, all they do is smile at you? I didn't really focus too much on that. It was just bat and ball for me. But uh, I think they're just smiling because they genuinely enjoy the game and think it was out of just a fun intention, just good intentions. They were just there smiling. Does that weird you out at all? Because in other sports, <laughs> if you're growing up in America, you get the team sport on the opposite side of the field. The other team is, is snarling, growling, and they want to take your head off. Whereas Thailand are like polar opposite. Even for cricket teams, a lot of the cricket teams, yeah, there's spirit of cricket and all that stuff that gets talked about. But you get into a situation, a lot of teams, they get quite intense on the field. Thailand, all they do is smile and chant, and they're everybody's best friend. Does that psych you out at all when it's like, wait, no. I need you to be angry at me so that I can be in the right mode to be prepared for the situation. You smiling at me is throwing me off. Yeah, no, not really. Um, I didn't, I wasn't too bothered about their smiles, but it was them being like really loud and encouraging each other. Like, I don't know what language they were speaking, but whatever it was, it was really loud. And that sounded aggressive. So it wasn't the smiling. It was, it was the language and uh, their tone of voice that they were using that maybe could have been intimidating. 
Now, that's something that Cindy Sriharsh had talked about when I had her on the podcast, is the fact that that was a huge takeaway from that Scotland tour in 2019. And I think in one of my post-tour write-ups, I even commented on that. That sounded like when you were watching a USA game, it felt like you were at a funeral because everybody was so quiet. It was like being in church. Nobody wanted to say anything. It, it was just so incredibly noiseless. And when people would ask me, you know, what did you hear out in the field when you're watching USA? And I'd say, I didn't hear anything. That was the problem. There was nothing to hear. There was no noise. There was no anything. It didn't sound like anything. Whereas more recently, whether it was at the national tournaments, national championships in Florida, the regionals, and even the tours where USA went to Mexico and Zimbabwe, the noise levels, it's like night and day. The culture in the team has changed dramatically over the last couple of years. And a lot of the younger players are starting to drive that. I think number one, I'd have to put Gargi Bogle is kind of the, the official noisemaker in the field for USA. Uh, in a positive sense, but just in general, coming out of that experience, Cindy Shuharsha said that was the number one thing she talked about with Julia Price as a point that needed to be improved in terms of whether it's presenting better body language on the field, more united body language, or just making noise to make it sound like the USA team is united on the field and everybody's supporting each other. What has that culture shift been like for you in terms of the team attitude and team environment on your most recent tour compared to Scotland a couple years ago? Um, I think it was a good shift. It was, it's for the better. It's, it's nice when you have uh, a lot of encouragement and team chemistry, it makes the field a lot more lively when you have people encouraging you and uh, it's we're a little more bonded. So definitely energy I think is important. And if we can have like a certain person that makes sure we all keep up our energy on the field. Maybe we can, I think that will help us a lot. Now that's for the women's team. You've got opportunities coming up, coming out of the national championships and the regional pathway. USA will be picking a team for the next T20 World Cup qualifier, the global qualifier that will be coming up later this year. But in addition to that, you've also got a historic opportunity with the USA women's under 19 team. The team has already qualified. It's already been announced that USA has been granted a spot in the inaugural under-19 Women's World Cup. I think the assumption is you're going to be part of that squad as somebody who's a senior team representative and is still eligible age-wise. What do you hope to get out of that opportunity? And, and what does it mean to you to potentially be a part of the first ever USA Women's Under-19 World Cup squad, especially considering the fact that in the entire history of the Men's Under-19 World Cup, USA team has only been there twice and they haven't been there since 2010. And yet you're getting an opportunity to go at the very first chance. I'm definitely excited. I think it's a big moment for USA cricket, a big moment uh, for me to participate. And uh, I think it will also give me a chance to gain some more knowledge and experience playing overseas and against all these great teams. It's a great learning experience and a great opportunity. What are you most looking forward to about that opportunity in that event? I think just seeing the skill level of the other teams and um, I guess kind of comparing myself and just being able to reflect on what it is that I have to work on. Because that's my biggest thing, just what it is that I can improve on. How can I grow as a player? That tournament's going to be in South Africa in January of 2023. So you're going to get a chance to go back to that part of the world. You were in Zimbabwe late last year. 
you've gotten a chance to go to Scotland. Potentially, you could be going to Bangladesh before the Women's World Cup qualifier. You're getting a chance to travel to some very interesting places around the world at a young age. What has it been like for you from that standpoint, just getting an opportunity to do some of these things that not a lot of other people are getting an opportunity to do, whether it's a 17 year old or any other age for that matter? It's a lot of fun. And uh, I was just telling mom the other day when I go to Trinidad, it will be uh, so funny to kind of hear the Caribbean accent and hear the other girls speak because my parents, they're, they're Guyanese. So they have their, they have a little dialect to them. So the language and the culture, I think uh, is something I look forward to outside of cricket. Are you a chicken curry person or a curry chicken person? You got to settle this debate. It's curry chicken and don't let anyone tell you elsewise. (laughs) You heard it here first, curry chicken. All right. How is Bobby Ramjit's curry chicken? It's pretty good, but it's my dad that that's the chef. He's oh, the chef. I'm, now the I'm house. gonna get told I'm sexist for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so, dad. So your dad, chef. so so Ram Ram cooks an outstanding curry chicken. Yes, he does, and my mom is the one that cooks the roti or the dalpuri, which is like uh, it's almost like nain nain. And you can compare to the non. What is it called? Non. I call non. it non. My wife calls it non. Yeah. So almost like that. But my mom cooks the best one of that. So perfect match. Which do you prefer? Do you, do you prefer the, the down for you or do you prefer the, the curry chicken? You're putting me in trouble here. I can't pick a side. I'm going to have some, <laughs> some problems later. <laughs> you were worried beforehand about what kind of cr- cricket questions I was going to ask and to be prepared. And uh, you don't want to say the wrong thing. Little did you know, the hardest question you were going to get all night is, is about who's, who's cooking better is cooking. the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you get a chance to tour all these places. In general, what does it mean to you to represent USA? It's a very big honor. It's a very big honor for me to represent my country. And uh, especially in, in the sport that I love, um, it's always a blessing. And uh, I'm just thankful I get the opportunity that I do. What do your school teachers and your classmates and anybody else at your school think of the fact that you are representing USA and what is their general reaction been like the last couple of years that you've been in school that you're getting these opportunities and and how that impacts uh, your presence or lack thereof on campus because you're obviously traveling on the road and you're having to miss school time and and work your school commitments in around some of these things. So so what has that uh, experience been like for you? They just think it's amazing that they have uh, a kid in their classroom that's playing national cricket, playing a sport at the highest level. And I think a lot of my peers and uh, most people know me for cricket. If they don't know me by my name, they know me by cricket girl or the girl that plays cricket. So, yeah. Have you had to practice your autograph? (laughs) No, not yet. We haven't come to there yet. You haven't had to sign anything before uh, graduation? Uh, anybody getting some requests, whether it's teachers <laughs> or students? No, not no, not necessarily. I did have some requests to come to my games, though, to come to some local games. Some of my teachers wanted to see. Well, by all means, absolutely. We've got to make that happen. More fans, the better, whether it's in Maryland or North Carolina or Florida or anywhere else for that matter. People coming out to support you and support the other players involved in the USA setup, that would be highly highly appreciated i'm sure not just by you but the entire community the more people supporting cricket the better absolutely time lisa 
for the favorite 11, 11 questions, cricket and non-cricket. We've already gotten who's, who's your favorite cook out of the way, even though technically you didn't answer that one. But uh, we've got 11 more questions for you. Are you ready, Lisa? Yes, I am. Your favorite roommate on any cricket tour? I don't know. I roomed with Becky one time. She was, she was pretty cool. Claudine Beckford? Yes. Now, I know you're, you've got an older brother who serves in the military. And she's serving in the military. I believe she's still stationed in Germany. So did you have any sort of bond created over that at all? Or is she just somebody you enjoyed rooming with regardless? Uh, not really. I think it's because she has that military background that she's really like organized and a neat person. That's just something that I like. So she didn't have stuff lying down everywhere. <laughs> so that was good. I try and tailor at least one question for everybody based on where they're from and something to do with their heritage. Now, I know you're Ghanese, but you're also from Maryland, born and raised in Maryland. So do you have a favorite way that you like to have a Maryland crab cake? Mm, no, not really. I don't actually. I'm not that crazy over crab. I've had crab cake one time. I know it's disappointing being in Maryland, only having crab cake once, but only one time and it was really salty. So after that, I never wanted to try crab cakes again. So you are not a fan of the crab cakes. I know. I'm not representing really well. <laughs> Your favorite thing to do to pass the time on a 14 hour long haul flight flying over an ocean. What do you do to make the time pass a little bit more quickly? Uh, well, besides sleeping, I like to read. I'm a big uh, book fan. I'm sorry, that's my dog in the background. Can you hear no, her? You, you gotta make, I think it's a she. What is it, April? What's the April. dog's name? Yeah, that's her name. April. I think April maybe wants to be part of the podcast is what I'm hearing happening <laughs> back on there. We saw April already get onto the cricket field last year. Now April's yeah. making an appearance on the podcast. She right. just wants Hello. more attention. Hello, April. Your favorite cricket ground experience that you've had as a player? Yeah, although I've been like, I've been traveling around, I think uh, my favorite place has to be in Florida to play cricket. Uh, the Florida Stadium, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, the ground is really nice. The stadium, it's, it's really big. And um, I just find comfort in the weather and the environment there. Are there any sentimental reasons why that's your favorite pick too? <laughs> Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Your favorite cricketer of all time? Besides looking up to my parents, Sachin would have to be my favorite. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time? Bolt. You I like Usain Bolt. Bolt. Yes. Why Usain Bolt? He's the Bolt? guy. Uh, he's just so dedicated to his sport. And um, not only that, but I love his, his pose at the end. His signature Usain Bolt pose. So why don't we see you do that after taking a wicket? That's, that's taken. I can't copyright. I got to make my own thing up. <laughs> Your favorite place to eat out on tour? Um, just Chinese food. I love Chinese food. Nowhere specific. Maybe Panda Express, but Chinese food. That's where it's at. All right. Follow up. What's your go-to order on the Chinese menu? Uh, chicken fried rice and orange chicken. Sometimes egg roll. Your favorite beverage? Coca-Cola. That's a good answer. You can't beat the real thing, Lisa. Can't go wrong with Coca-Cola. You cannot beat the real thing. Your favorite pizza topping. I just like plain cheese pizza. We have another member 
of the Kevin McAllister Society joining us on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. This is such a great moment. I am also a charter member of the Kevin McAllister Cheese Pizza Club, Lisa. So this is music to my ears. Where is your favorite place to get a cheese pizza? Do you get a local pizzeria place or, or do you get a Domino's or Pizza Hut? Or pizza Domino's? Hut. Pizza, pizza Hut's Hut. good. Your favorite movie of all time? McFarlane, USA. It's a running, it's a, it was a, a coach and he recruited runners for a marathon. Where was it? McFarlane, USA. Kevin Costner. Yeah, second best Finding Dory. Finding Dory, the only thing <laughs> wrong with that. My daughter's a big fan of Finding Dory. Last but not least, your favorite show to binge watch? Supernatural with Sam and Dean Winchester. Wow. I have, have seen you- a few episodes. Did you like it? I can understand why you would get hooked on it. It was quite good. It was a show that I thought to myself, I wish I had gotten into it from the beginning because now it's like 15, 16 seasons long and I, I can't go back now. Yeah, it's really long, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I grew up as a big X-Files fan. So I, I'm into that kind of, yeah, supernatural. Lisa Ramjit, thank you so much for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. I'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to say that you feel people should know about your cricket journey or anything else about you? Just uh, if you have a dream, go after it. Someday you might find yourself there. Thanks again to Lisa Ramjit for coming on the podcast. And she's already off to a great start with the USA Women's Under-19 squad in Trinidad. They won their first match over Jamaica by seven wickets. They held them to a total of 50 in 20 overs, if you can believe that. And then knocked off the runs with 8.4 overs to spare. USA is off to a very, very promising start on that tour in Trinidad. They have five more matches against Windward Islands, Leeward Islands, Barbados, Guyana, and Trinidad and Tobago. So keep your eyes out for Luis's progress and the rest of the USA women's under-19 squad as they continue on that tour of Trinidad. And I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the podcast on Patreon. Become a patriot today. Everybody who contributes to the podcast helps to keep it running on an episode-by-episode basis. So I appreciate all the Patreon supporters who have done that. And also you can subscribe on YouTube to get the latest video version of the podcast. Or alternatively, if you like the audio version, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and many other podcasting platforms to get the latest episodes straight to your phone or other mobile device. That's it for this episode. I'm Peter Delpenner reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket.